Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of May 20, 2013. This is episode 194. I'm Chris Bevelo. I am president of Interval. We are the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today are Katie Streeter, content marketing specialist. And uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Bat. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Yes, I am. I'm well. How are you? We're all well. Yeah. That's great. No complaints. We're doing this remotely. I see that Chris is in his study, which is the uh, the the scene of the crime for your most recent technical mishap, if I'm oh, not mistaken. You know what? Oh, I should what actually happened? post that video. You know, of all the people that I've shown the video to, <laughs> Katie, you have not seen it, and it involves a cat. <laughs> Let's not give it away. Well, I'll have to describe a little bit. My cat has... Um, got into the habit of sitting on computers to uh, warm her bottom lady parts, <laughs> is the way I think of it. And it's not good, and I know that, but I came home the other day, and my I could hear my computer playing. It was hilarious. It was playing Meatloaf, like iTunes was on. I'm like, why is that on? So I go in there and look, and there she is curled up on my laptop. So I took a video of it, and then literally like two hours later, the fan won't turn, you know, stop running on my laptop. My battery's dead. So she literally overheated and killed my laptop. Oh my god! <laughs> so the video is pretty funny because there's 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 meatloaf. Two out of three ain't bad playing in the background, and <laughs> so I, I, we could somehow provide it as a link. I think I think that's safe. You upload yeah. it to YouTube. Yeah, or upload it to Facebook. Either way, we could embed it from either one. Okay. So you'll have to help me with that. I don't know if I want to put it on Facebook. Maybe I could. (laughs) That's funny. All right. Yeah. So now I have a new laptop and all's well. (laughs) (laughs) So and and now and now we know that a MacBook Air is vented out through the keyboard, actually. We have we have learned. Yes, now we know why they call it the air, because you gotta give it it air to breathe. Because it needs air. (laughs) It doesn't it's not actually vented through the keyboard, correct? Yeah. It really is? I yeah, wow. yeah. I know my wife has the older model that's also vented through the hinge. Oh. I don't know if the new ones are as well, oh. but the keyboard is definitely one of the ventilation points. So if you got a big fat cat laying on it, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> going to be good. For She's her. pretty furry. So, <laughs> All right, so let's see. Some updates. Still time to join us for the Joe Public Retreat, which we're holding June 19th to the 21st at the lovely Guthrie Theater here in Minneapolis. Two days of solid consultative awesomeness. Yep. And JoePublicRetreat.com for more information. Definitely have a great group that are that are headed out here. So we'd love for you to join us. So check it out. Still time, plenty of time. Uh, we still have our hotel block in play. Still time to book that airfare. So come on down. If you got any questions, shoot me an email at Chris at thinkinterval.com. We'd love to have you. Also before that, actually, I'm going to be speaking in Dallas at the – now, this is confusing, but it's in Dallas, but it's for the Arkansas Hospital Association uh, Arkansas Health Executives Forum. So it's basically their leadership conference, which is held June 12th through 14th. It's in Dallas. Uh, I imagine that they uh, – just that's the facility they need to use. I'm not – you know, they're leaving yeah, Arkansas. Yeah. But What's the biggest town in Arkansas? Can it, can it not facilitate this? Little Rock? Little Rock, I, I was going to say. I'm not sure. 
Maybe they just want a reason to get out. Yes, maybe. Nothing wrong with traveling. No. So I'm delivering the Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, and I've got a version of that presentation that I deliver to uh, C-suite folks, which is fun. I love doing that. I love delivering that presentation to marketers, uh, but it's even more fun just for different ways to deliver it to uh, CEOs and CFOs because a lot of it is aligned with what they want too. But there's also things in there that I just you know completely am frontal <laughs> about – uh, namely that they have the keys to actually marketing things the right way because mm-hmm. oftentimes marketers want to do that and they're stymied by their leadership. So I kind of give the power to them and then I show them all the different ways that they think in silly fashion. So it's fun. It's fun to stand up in front of an audience like that. It usually has a really strong reception just like it does with marketers. So so I'm up against the other presentations are the path to value and the federal budget in a time of madness. Whoa. That sounds good. That sounds ser- that sounds serious. Yeah, very. <laughs> serious but true. It this is, is madness. madness. It is madness. This is healthcare marketing. <laughs> what is that, that? Isn't that? Isn't that what the guy says before he gets before the uh, dude kicks him into the well in 300? This is madness. Oh, the other guy says this, this is This is Sparta. Yes. Uh, this is healthcare marketing. <laughs> I could give you a lot of quotes from that movie. To the cliffs. I'll have to come up with my favorite ones. I'll try to use them throughout the podcast. Spartans, what is your profession? <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, my gosh. Drink, ha- drink hearty and eat, my lads, for in the morn we die. Tonight we dine in hell. <laughs> That's right. I've seen right. this movie, and I remember liking it, but I'd never be able to quote it. Yeah. I've only seen it once. You could probably tell us how many abs are on each of these. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Spartans. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Spartans and madness, let's talk about house hospital pricing information. We're a little late to the game on this, but that's okay. We <clears> want to give it time to breathe, before. right? Yeah. Instead of like being a fine wine. It is a fine line. This is our decanter episode where we're dumping it in and letting it breathe. Oh, you said fine wine. I thought you said it's a fine line. Oh, it's both. It is both. <laughs> I, I don't know what the difference is between the things you just said. Fine, <laughs> fine, fine, wine. fine, 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 wine. So oh, a fine wine. Okay. Yes, okay. you know what that is. There you go. <laughs> so uh, there's a story in Huffington Post. I mean, I'm sure everybody who listens has read enough about this, so we don't need to, you know, reiterate a ton of this. The I don't remember even when this was. Probably two weeks ago. Uh, maybe a little longer. The uh, what's her name? I can never pronounce her name. Lily, what's the the um, health and human services secretary of health and human services? Hey. Catherine, Catherine something bus. I should know find, that. Let me find it. Wonder bus. Anyway, CMS basically, which is part of that, released a database of all the hospital charge lists. Um, not all of them, but for 90% of the hospitals for the top 100 inpatient procedures, I believe is the right statistics. Um, this was all prompted, by the way, I think. I, I think it's safe to give credit to uh, a long story that I think we talked about in a prior podcast in time called Bitter Pill, Why Medical Bills Are Killing Us, uh, which really looked at uh, the fact that hospitals charge so much and, and such different costs. Um, 
conceivably for no apparent reason or rationality. Uh, it's a lot more complicated than that, but it is a challenge and it is a problem. Uh, but I think I think we want to try to put this a little bit in perspective and talk about well, what impact could this have for our clients and, and those in, in you know hospital marketers specifically, but also the organizations they work for, right? Because um, this could be something. I mean, first of all, the idea that an aspirin costs twenty five dollars has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, probably Katie, even before your time, I remember early 80s stories about this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I think the difference this time or is twofold. One, uh, they've released all the actual information. So before it was just like examples here, examples there, which could be maybe easier explained away. Mm-hmm. Now you can see it across the country. And the other, um, it's one thing to say they're expensive. Uh, it's another to show the wild discrepancies, which we actually talked about like two years ago. Do you remember that, Adam? Mm-hmm. Because there was a there's a uh, there was an entity in Minnesota that had created a website that allowed you to see uh, what was being charged for certain things. Now mm-hmm. it was very very limited, uh, but I remember thinking at the time, man, this is like lifting up a, a giant boulder and looking at all the scary, creepy crawlies underneath it. And mm-hmm. if this were to happen at a significant scale. That would be something to talk about, and that's kind of what's happened. Do you remember that, Adam? I do, I do. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, the, what what it revealed was creepy, but it was also limited. And I and I question that in this case too. I mean, is the data that's being provided by these hospitals is it? Are they all? Is is it aligning with some with with like particular criteria, or is it is are they reporting it in different ways? It just seems it seems so odd that there would be, you know, the example given in this Huffington Post article is the this New Jersey hospital versus other New York hospitals close by, and for I think it's a COPD procedure, it's, it's like a lung problem. Um, <clears throat> the discrepancy is like you can get something done for seven grand at it's at a particular New York hospital, and then the most expensive one nearby was like damn near a hundred thousand dollars. It was like ninety three thousand dollars or something. Right. Um, is there just my, so my, when I see those numbers, the first thing that, that I, the first place that my mind jumps is they've got to be including, they've got to be factoring in a hell of a lot more at the $93,000 facility or the, the $7,000 one is just not, you know, they're, they're, they're like reporting for a part of the procedure that the other hospital is reporting for much more. I don't know, maybe not. Um, you know, it's been fascinating to see our own, Medical bill, you know, last podcast, I talked a little bit about what my wife and I are going through with our, with our son who has just spent 42 days or 44 days in a, uh, in a children's ICU and the bills we're seeing, you know, <clears throat> I don't mind sharing that we are, hell, we're, o- we're over $300,000 for that yep. right now. Um, you know, fortunately we're insured. Um, but it's fascinating to look at those bills and see what they bill because, because you get to see what they charge what the hospital charges or like what their line item is for something. And then what like a, a discount is for the insurance company. Right. So you'll see a charge for something that's like a hundred thousand dollars with a discount of like $62,000. <laughs> and then they actually bill the amount to the insurance yeah. company of like, you know, the 38 or whatever. So it's like, what it's, it's so confusing. Well, that's why it's, it's almost, there's a, there's a, there's a part of the story that I highlighted that I think says it all. 
It says, quote, public access to this data on hospital charges pulled back the curtain on one of the most troubling characteristics of the American healthcare system. Medical providers set their prices in ways that seem arbitrary with little oversight and practically no market incentive to reduce them because almost no one actually pays the official rates. So right. basically, and this was unfortunately not handled well in that initial bitter pill story by the hospital spokespeople who were trying to say the same thing, but came off by saying, you know, basically like saying, hey, those don't matter anyway, so don't don't pay attention to them. Um, they do matter to some people, and we'll get to that in a second, but to the vast majority of people, they don't matter. And so when you're looking at that, Adam, it's almost um, meaningless. Because all right, that matters right. to you and all that really matters in the end is what you actually are charged uh, through your insurance. And even then, do you really care? Because you're not going to pay that anyway because you've got right. – like most people, you've got co-pays and deductibles. But once those are, are hit, uh, you know, you, you don't, it doesn't matter what it costs. And so right. uh, it's very possible. I mean the example they use – I'm not familiar with Bayonne Hospital, Bayonne Hospital Center, New Jersey. Uh, but I'm certainly familiar with the Bronx, and they may have picked, you know, the broadest discrepancy uh, intentionally. So if you look at the map in there, the rest of them aren't that. I mean, they've picked the lowest and the highest, right? And the lowest is in a very, very, very low income, poor area of New York City. So, you know, for whatever reason, that might be a factor. Uh, the very high one might be in a in a nicer area. I don't know, you know, where in New Jersey that is, but it really doesn't matter. It's it's very arbitrary, um, and and that, to me, that's one of the biggest takeaways from this. Is is I want to talk a little bit about what we think the impact is going to be, but it's interesting, Adam, that you're going through that. And you can see kind of some of this in play. A lot of people have seen this. Obviously, if you have healthcare bills of any size, you you note this, right. <clears throat> The, the, yeah, and oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know what? It's 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 easy to kind of jump to conclusions when you look at these numbers too. And I mean, I certainly think that if they're reporting the same thing and the discrepancy, you know, and there is that size of a discrepancy, that it certainly is justifiable to jump to conclusions or to be shocked when you see that. Um, but I also don't think it's. I mean, it's not unrealistic for there to be differences obviously in how they price. I mean, if you look at, I mean, it'd be surprising if they all came out to be like the exact right. same amount um, because, you know, one hospital might hire the elite of elite doctors who probably command a pretty reasonable salary. And, you know, if their time is taken away from doing, you know, very sophisticated procedures that do command a lot of money to, to spend on this type of stuff, um, <clears throat> then, you know, I guess justifiably the price could be higher. Now that said, they probably shouldn't be, they probably should send that business down the road to the hospital that can manage it more affordably and spend their time on the sophisticated procedures. I don't know. I, I think figuring some of that stuff out is going to be a, a, needs to be a big part of reform once we get into that. Well, and, and to your point, I think the, the question has to be asked if we're pushing for better quality care, I think it's safe to say that, I mean, just look at this map of all the hospitals just in this little area, right? I mean, it's not a little area, right. but relatively speaking to the country, I don't even know how many hospitals are shown on there. Uh, we shouldn't have the expectation that we're going to get the same quality or experience everywhere. That's impossible. Right. You don't have that right. in any market. And so at some point, yes, the Mayo Clinic should be more expensive than, you know, county hospitals somewhere. 
because the Mayo Clinic, you would assume, and if, if they demonstrate this, provides better quality outcomes, a better patient experience, whatever else they provide. Uh, now, we're a long way from being able to you know, look at this market like we would an auto market um, where you know, conceivably you're willing to pay more to get more. Uh, I, you know, we're not anywhere close to that. And, and right. that's part of the challenge with this. I mean, when we think about <clears throat> you know, who's going to be impacted this or even put it from the perspective of our clients, you know, who, who, do they, who do they need to worry about? With this, you no, know, do they need to worry about payers seeing this? And, and it mentions this in the article. I would be surprised if this is like a big shock to payers, and all of a sudden they go like, "Oh, wow! Now we've got all this information. We're going to be able to beat up the hospitals." They knew this already. They're getting the charges. They know, right? Right. right. They're getting the charge. The bills that that you're seeing, Adam, go to the payer first, uh, and then the payer marks them down. So it shouldn't be a shock to the payers, unless I'm misunderstanding something there. No, and it's my understanding too that different different insurance companies, uh, they like depending on like if, if if I had a different type of insurance, the discount that I see on there might be entirely different. absolutely. Like if I, yes, so I mean they, they, the hospitals work different deals with different insurance companies on the size of these discounts if you're going to get a discount at all. Yes, yeah, and so <clears throat> let's let's look Mark, let's think about the patients, right? You know, do, do you need to worry about Medicare or Medicaid patients having access to information or, or impacting their choice? No, they're already paying a locked in cost that they can't impact. And it's usually far lower than anything you see here. It's the lowest that you're going to find. So you don't have to worry about them. Uh, what about the traditionally insured like you, Adam? Uh, probably not because these prices don't, affect them. They affect them in a general sense and they affect society in a general sense, but you personally are not going to pay the the prices that are listed on the charge list because they're discounted, because you have co-pays, all the things we just talked about. So it's not unlikely for you to to rise up uh, as a traditional insured and march down there and say, you know what, I want a discount on this because you're already getting it. Uh, The group that is most impacted by this are the, the uninsured uh, or the self-pay audience, because they're the ones paying rack rates. Uh, they're the ones that potentially pay these charges. And of course, it's very ironic and unfortunate that they're usually the lowest income, hardest off of, of our you know, people who live in the United States, and they're the ones paying the most. The reason why that happens is because with Medicare and other insurers, you're getting a group discount. So you're you're getting, you know, the economies of scale that comes with getting a whole bunch of people together and those people don't have that. They don't have anybody working on their behalf. I believe in Minnesota a number of years ago they passed a law that said uh you couldn't charge as a hospital more to somebody who didn't have insurance than people who did have insurance. So this might be corrected here in Minnesota. I could be wrong about that. But but do you need to worry about that as a hospital? Most hospitals probably don't mind if the uninsured or self-pay population goes somewhere else. Now, that's not good for the self-insured, um, the self-pay people. Uh, but, you know, they're hard to get to pay this, obviously, even if it was the lowest amount. Even if you're looking at, you know, $7,000 for that procedure in, in the Bronx, that's more than most people who live in that area or a lot of people in the United States have in savings at all. Forget about all the other charges. So um, the, the group I think you need to worry the most about are groups like me. So they're not traditional insured. They're insured, which means 
you know, you're going to get paid as a payer or as a provider, <clears throat> but we have high deductibles. So I have an $8,000 deductible uh, on my kids, for example. So I'm going to pay real attention to pricing because that's coming right out. That eight grand is coming right out of my pocket mm-hmm. as opposed to the traditional insured who may have, you know, like a $300 deductible or whatever. Uh, I may shop around. Uh, also, I will tend to be more educated uh, than, <clears throat> let's say, the, the uninsured just demographically speaking. So I'll have more access to the internet. I'll have education to know what to look for. Uh, that's the group you may be hearing from the most from this. Now, do you guys think this is going to be an ongoing issue or do you think it's like a flash in the pan, big deal, and it's just going to go away? I think it's going to be ongoing. I mean, this has to be addressing... Healthcare reform is not going to be reform really until it addresses pricing directly, because uh, that's where this system is completely out of control. Uh, you know, we can insure everybody, but if we don't get pricing figured out and brought brought down to a reasonable level, or or, or at least just balanced out, I don't know. I mean, it's you can't insurance can only go so far if prices are going to keep going up the way they're going. So I don't think this is a flash in the pan. I think this is this is a big issue that's going to that's going to sustain until we figure it out. And man, if we go, if, if, if healthcare goes completely socialized at some point in time, uh, you know, I'm imagining that figuring this out is going to be <laughs> in the government's best interest. But you also, sorry, you also make a good point that there's very few people in the country that are I mean, we're all impacted in a way, but directly impacted where we're going to be paying out, paying for these prices. You know, like what you said, the people with high deductibles are going to be paying close attention to it, but it's really who's going to be keeping this this issue um, going. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and I, I guess I'm of two minds. Like I said, this stuff has been around for decades and it hasn't changed a thing. Um, so part of me feels like, I, you know, there's a there's a quote in the in the story that made me smile just a little bit because I feel like the reality is somewhat different. Um, let's see. The very fact that prices are now public may bring change. Hopefully, it will cause hospitals themselves to take a hard look at their charge master practices and ask hard questions of themselves as an industry why there's so much variation, which it could do. I don't expect hospitals to start <clears throat> charging less. They're just not going to do that. They're not going to go. Gosh, mm-hmm. we really do charge way too much. Uh, most hospitals have margins that don't allow them to just drop their their pricing, uh, and so my fear is, on one hand, it's not going to have an impact because they're just going to they're going to find ways around it. They're going to find ways to to have more logic behind it, but still charge the same amount overall. Because in the end, that's what they that's all they care about. What I do think is different than before is, and I and I tried to find this, but I couldn't locate it. This information that was provided in like a 17,000-page document, there's already talk of like funneling that into some kind of app you can use if that has not already happened. And so what's different now from before is this information could be actionable because of technology uh, to consumers, to patients, whereas before that might have been very difficult. So obviously it's a snapshot, and as things change, in fact – if you had an app right now and you and you found a price for something at a hospital you're using and you and you try to call them on it, it would be very easy for them to say, "Well, that's not a price anymore. That's outdated information." Uh, but I think it it could have that impact. I just 
I wonder overall, you know, it's it's I doubt this is going to drive down what hospitals charge. And I also think, you know, it speaks to a bigger issue of it's not just what hospitals charge. You know, you can make hospitals drop their prices 45%. All that matters is what do people actually pay. So let's assume that this forces that to actually change. So not just what the uninsured paid, but what we pay through Medicare, which is already extraordinarily low uh, comparatively, or what we pay through private payers. Um, you know, they still have to keep their doors open. They still have to hire doctors. Most of them are nonprofit, though not all of them. Uh, what about all the entities that are satellites to the hospital, the medical device companies, the uh, pharmaceutical companies, the technology companies uh, that make that are for profit uh, 99% of the time and have high profit margins, right? That's why an MRI machine costs so much. And that's why the hospital has to charge you a lot. So until we get to that level, I don't know how this really changes at a systemic, in a systemic way. But now we're getting way out on the branch of economics, which is a little scary. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I do want to talk yeah. about one part of this that has come up um, because we're doing a lot of brand work with clients. And one of the things that we talk about with brand positioning, uh, and I still feel this way, is that the option of trying to build your brand primarily from a price perspective, I think is still too risky for hospitals, either way or any way you go. So whether you Mm -hmm. want to try to be the Lexus of healthcare or the Walmart of healthcare, both of those are, uh, I would say, a little dangerous right now. I mean, I I would say if you're being called out, uh, like this New Jersey hospital is in the press that we're seeing from this release of information as expensive that's not a good thing, right? You want to come off as the most expensive. Um, that's going to be a PR hit in the short term, at least. But that doesn't mean necessarily that you want to start positioning yourself as a low cost provider. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I had a vehement argument with the healthcare CEO about a month ago about this, uh, which is really fascinating because he was insistent that that's where healthcare is going and that everybody wants lower costs, uh, particularly payers, and that brands could be. Uh, positioned around that. And my point was, yes, payers absolutely want to know that as a provider, you're trying to drive efficiency and keep costs low. But I think it's yet to be proven that consumers are going to move um, in a way, in a dramatic enough way that that you're going to benefit from being the low cost provider. I think that it's easy to have, <clears throat> it's easy to have that outlook or that perception if you haven't gone through something really friggin' serious. If you've really only been into the clinic for your physicals, for your for you know your shots, you've had a cold, your kids had some ear infections, maybe somebody broke a bone at some point in time, you know the, the run of the mill stuff. It's easy to say um, healthcare is going to the Walmart approach, you know, where where, where pricing is going to be, you know, the the what people really <clears throat> factor in or, or look on or what people how they're going to differentiate. But man, like, I mean, I can speak from experience now having, you know, like I said, been in an ICU for 44 days with my six month old that I don't want the Walmart of healthcare (laughs) as my is driving the ICU care that my kid gets there. I want, you know, I want the standard, I want the Cadillac, I want the standard, or or at least the standard, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you can't, your your outlook on this stuff, I think changes, at least for me. I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for everybody. Once you've gone through something really friggin' serious, um, because you know it matters a lot more at that point. 
it doesn't necessarily matter when you're just dealing with run of the mill crap. Right. Right. And that's, that's the point I always make. And I made to the CEO, everybody wants lower costs in healthcare. You know, if you're talking about the system in general and the unsustainability, if that's a word of our system, we need to lower costs. But, but, Usually, you know, or, or most people are thinking about, about that in terms of, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, overprescribed care. There's a lot of, uh, inefficiencies. There's a lot of things you could do to lower costs without impacting the actual quality of care. Uh, and in fact, improving the quality of care should lower costs as well if it was done right. But that's one level. When it comes down to your own care or your mother's care or your kid's care, that's a completely different story. And, and right. exactly as you just put it, Adam, I think people will say, yes, we need, a, we need lower costs in our healthcare system. But if my mom needs surgery, I want the best doctor there is. Right. And that's not going to be the cheapest by definition, like we talked about before. Um, most likely, it's not going to be the cheapest or even among the cheapest. So that's, a, that's where I think it's dangerous to – doesn't mean you shouldn't be trying to lower costs and drive efficiencies. Absolutely, you should. But whether you want to go out there and promote that, uh, anything beyond retail, anything beyond you know, um, commodity care like you're discussing, Adam, is to me really <clears throat> unproven and potentially dangerous to a brand. Yeah. Well, you know, even even you know, assuming the market doesn't go that way or the industry doesn't go that way, um, you know, you know, even if we're, we're most likely not going to be using pricing to promote ourselves, but one thing's for certain: if this data is going to stay transparent and visible and accessible and especially if it's made even more accessible um you know the 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 big data approach now and bringing this thing down to apps that are accessible to consumers or websites that parse the data in easy to understand ways um healthcare marketers are going to have their work cut out for them managing perception uh, i think unlike they ever have had to in the past because you know, this isn't necessarily, this isn't stuff we've had to worry about as mark healthcare marketers in the past. And it's going to, and it's potentially going to be moving forward. Um, so, you know, it's not just going to be, you know, managing, managing your brand from a, uh, you know, anecdotal perspective where people have their opinions based on experiences. Now it's going to be managing your brand on concrete data that's out there, you know, that you're providing right. uh, this system. So, right. And and that concrete data has been flowing for a while. It's been flowing in other areas like patient satisfaction and quality mm-hmm. data, though that's still difficult to to pin down. Right. It's it's out there. Now you've got the cost component of it potentially. Uh, though again, I think it's because it's a snapshot. It's going to be easy for hospitals to figure out a strategy to work around that and minimize the impact. But uh, my guess is this this could start a movement where that transparency becomes permanent. It's not just a a flushing of all this seventeen thousand page document that happens once. Uh, there may be calls to keep that stuff public, uh, which would definitely make things interesting on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. And we already see that. I mean, we see we see pricing. Um, Minnesota and Wisconsin are both states that have been leading in showing hospital pricing. Uh, but again, it's so convoluted and oftentimes you're not seeing the charge master prices. Uh, but again, it come full circle and to talk out of three sides of my mouth, the charge master is not as important as a lot of other components to this. So I'm not sure how much of an impact it'll have. So how's that for wishy-washy? <laughs> All right. So should we wrap that up? That was a long talker. That was a bender. Yeah. That was a pricing bender. <laughs> Big topic. 
It is a big topic. Yes, it is. So do we have time? Do you think we do dive into one more? Yeah, as long as Katie thinks we have enough time, because this is her baby, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, Yeah, if you guys have some time, then let's talk about it. Okay. Um, So, yeah, we have a blog post coming up soon. Um, Should be posted in the next few days here. And it is about how to go about um, promoting a bad service line. When someone tasks you with promoting a bad service line and what you do when that happens. That never happens. (laughs) Never. Never. (laughs) It never happens to our clients. I don't think I've ever heard that before. (laughs) Right. So the situation kind of comes from our experiences of dealing with um, marketers who are told that they have to promote a bad service line and they don't know what to do about it um, because people think that promoting this bad service line is going to increase the volumes um, to this low quality service. Um, So we kind of have outlined in this blog post what we think you should do and the steps you should take um, when you're tasked with um, promoting a bad service line. So um, the first one, and Chris, you can expand on this one a little bit, is making the case why you shouldn't promote it. Um, And before you accept the defeat of you need to promote this service line, there's no exceptions, like you have to do it, you want to make the case and let people know why you shouldn't, too. Um, Yeah, and that that may be a... It may be a, a bit of a CYA, but I, I always feel like it's the marketer's job to educate wherever possible about what makes marketing work and effective. And so, even if you know you you kind of know before you start down this path that there is no choice, you're going to have to do it. I still think your due diligence requires you to to say on the record, this is why this is a bad idea. Um, and usually it's because people don't understand how, you know, what drives marketing success. You know, they honestly think that the, you know, hey, the, the problem is people don't know that we have this great service or that we have a service or, you know, they downplay the experiential component. So yeah, we know we've got a decrepit building and our nurses are cranky, but we have a, we have a board certified doctor. And if we just tell people that, then they'll come in. <laughs> And so I think it's up to you to take advantage of that situation and and really help educate. And it may not get you anywhere. You still may have to market the service line. But being clear about, hey, you know, this is what really drives people to come in. Uh, We can't overlook these deficiencies. And in fact, if we're successful from a promotional standpoint, we actually might make things worse, knowing that word of mouth is the number one driver of our influencer in healthcare decision-making, if we drive somebody in a bad situation, they're likely to tell 10 people how crappy it was. Uh, And so, you know, we're better off not having that person come to us in the first place if it costs us 10 people down the road. So think about what your argument is, build a case, deliver it um, in an objective way, not in a defensive way. Uh, But I think you got to start with that. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if after that, if you still are told, no, you know, you need to promote this service line, um, you're getting a lot of heat from people to promote it, um, you can make the best of the situation. And we think that you should advocate for content marketing instead of promotional marketing. And the main reason for this is that you can shift the focus from you and your bad service line to content that's relevant to the consumer in some way. Um, And another part of this is that most people that are going to receive these promotional messages, like we always say, aren't going to need your service right then. So using this content marketing 
can actually give you the ability to um, provide them with relevant content, even though they might not need your service line at this point in time, but um, they can can form a relationship with your brand in the meantime while hopefully you can get your service line in shape. Right. Did, did, did we define bad service line? Does that mean, do we, do we, do we want to define that? Is that as in crappy service as in uh, underperforming as not profitable or all the above? Yeah. I think we're going to do that in the, in the blog post, but what we mean by that is, yeah, there's some kind of, um, not bad performing from a financial standpoint. That's a completely valid reason to, to market a service line, but more so from a patient experience or clinical standpoint. So in other words, the product's bad, right? Mm-hmm. So your doctors mm-hmm. have or have bad bedside manner. You have low patient satisfaction scores for that service line. Um, you are dramatically behind other offerings in the community, though you could still market it at that point. You're just going to be a little handicapped. Uh, but more so, you know, where it's really a bad situation and it's bad enough that you have to, you have to think about, does it make sense to spend $1 to bring somebody in before you fix whatever that situation is? Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, if, if you get the approval to go ahead with content marketing, it's important to leverage it in the right way. And, um, you do that by providing relevant and compelling content and, by doing that and providing a positive experience through the program, you can start that consumer or patient off with a positive experience. And um, I think we kind of say, like, buffer the impact before they get into the clinical experience. That might not be as great. So, Right. I mean, we're big believers in first impression uh, is a lasting impression. And we often, I often talk with marketers at, at conferences about whether – uh, you know, marketers can play any real role in driving the patient experience, and they're so limited in what they can do. That really is in the hands of operations and, and others. Uh, but the one place where you can uh, impact the patient experience is online, is through content marketing. Uh, things that you can do that folks can encounter either before they actually need clinical care or on their pathway into clinical care. And if you can provide a really stellar uh, experience, uh, that will help with what they might encounter after. It's not going to overcome it, but it might buffer it. Uh, you know, so you do have some some ability to impact this, but uh, you know, in the end, you're still going to want to come back to. You're going to be limited in the success you can have until you actually fix the product or service. Right. Right. Cool. So we'll have that posted by the time this gets up online. How about that guarantee? Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So anything else we want to talk about? We're pushing the 40-minute mark, so I think we should wrap her up. Wrap it up. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. And for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo. Katie Streeter. And Adam Meyer. Talk to you next time. <laughs>